Welcome to the QAV podcast. If you're brand new, I just want to introduce the podcast a little bit so you know what you're getting yourself into. If you've listened to the show before, feel free to just fast forward a minute or two. If you're brand new, here's the deal. Uh, my name's Cameron Riley. Tony Kynaston is an old friend of mine. He's a very successful share market investor. I'm talking very, very, very successful. He's been doing it 30 years. He's one of the best in the country in terms of a private investor. Very good uh, track record over 30 years. And what this podcast is about is Tony basically teaches me everything that he knows about investing in the stock market. And you get to listen. But if you're coming into this for the first time, you'll find that this episode, the current episodes, assume a certain level of prior knowledge. We assume that you know what we're talking about, his system, his methodology, which we explain in earlier episodes. So feel free to listen if you want to get the vibe for what's going on, but some of it's not going to make much sense unless you understand what the checklist is, etc. I recommend if you're brand new, you go back and listen to uh, Season 3, Episode 1, Episode 3 and Episode 5, where we go into Tony's background and his system and his methodology in a lot more detail. And then feel free to listen to the contemporary episodes, the current episodes. You'll understand more of the context of what we're talking about. With that, let's get into today's show. Welcome back to QAV, TK. You're back in Sydney. This is episode 419, before I forget. Recorded the uh, Monday the 10th of May, 2021. Back in Sydney? Back in Sydney, yes. Had a lovely week. Had a lovely two weeks off. How was Wagga? Wagga was great. I should send you some photos. No, I won't do that. No, it was um, <laughs> lots of good fun. 10,000 people went to the races for the Gold Cup. And then, uh, yeah, we had played golf one day, had a couple of bookings in bars and restaurants at night that were fantastic. Well, we turned on a good show for us. Caught up with oh, friends. It was really good. That's good. Anyway, big week. We've got a lot to talk about this week. A lot of questions. Thanks to everybody who's sending questions. Uh, let's start with uh, bank results, Tony. You wanted to talk about the bank results. Yeah. So, you know, because the banks, for some reason, report uh, March and September, we've had three of the major banks uh, reporting in the last week, uh, along with Macquarie, so four of the big five, um, all good results as you'd expect coming out of COVID. Um, the couple of couple of um, highlights, I guess, the retail banks, so ANZ, uh, Westpac, and uh, NAB, have been writing back their provisions for people not paying their mortgages during the COVID downturn. So you know, basically because of JobKeeper and other um, mortgage uh, deferrals and things like that. that they, they put hundreds of millions of dollars on their balance sheets as provisions for people not um, paying their mortgages and that they haven't had to use much of that. And so they're starting to ride it back into profit this year, which has really helped their, their profit. Uh, and it's largely meant too that, um, that they, they're carrying too much capital and that might sound like a good thing and it is, but the, Banking regulators require them to have a certain amount of capital that they actually have quick access to, either by you know bonds or cash or deposits or whatever, and that's to stop them from overgearing, because uh, banks do gear up quite a lot uh, because they um, don't just rely on the deposits that they they have. They issue bonds to be able to fund the mortgage. So 
the main the main part of the way that they work is they issue bonds at a lower interest rate than they can lend out to mortgage holders and they they keep the spread so they love to be geared to do that um, but the APRA people are generally only want them to be you know sort of um, geared to a certain level and because they, they're writing back their provisions and they haven't had as bad a time during COVID as everyone thought they've got some ex- excess capital and that means going forward either probably in the next six to 12 months there'll be things like either share buybacks or special dividends um, or other ways of returning capital to shareholders because they have excess capital. So that's going to be a good thing for bank holders going forward. Macquarie Bank is a little bit different. It's not a retail bank, so it didn't have to make those kinds of provisions for mortgage holders. It does have a small retail exposure, but nothing major. But uh, it's been the, the beneficiary of the Hain Commission in that the major banks have sold off their wealth management divisions and and they've been going to other companies and Macquarie Bank's been soaking up some of those customers who have, I guess, um, had a look around during the transfer of ownership and they've um, shifted towards Macquarie. So Macquarie went through a period in its recent history where a lot of its income was coming from investments, uh, particularly in infrastructure. So Macquarie is very heavily into toll roads overseas and the like. Uh, But that's now back to about half its income and the other half is now coming from wealth management or a large part of that other half is coming from wealth management. And that's increased in the last six months. So a couple of big trends there going on with banks. I guess with the retail banks as well, COVID really transferred a lot of customers from retail bank branches to to digital offerings, whether on their phone or uh, on the websites. And so going forwards, I think the banks will take that as an opportunity to close branches and save costs. So... I think it was NAB that called out they're going to save $8 billion over the next few years in costs. But all the banks now will be um, rushing to do that. And so increasingly more digital and less hands, physical hands used to process mortgage applications and credit card applications and things like that, which means uh, the branches will shut, which is lowering their cost base. We've seen this all before in terms of shutting branches. It, it does have a big cost impact on the on the businesses. Sometimes they get carried away, particularly in the rural areas, and there's a backlash, but but generally it helps to reduce their costs. So it, everything's looking pretty good for the banks going forward, and, and they're certainly a, appearing on our, on our uh, watch list at the moment. Hmm. Okay. Banks. Yeah. Get into the banks. <laughs> Let me talk a little bit about the QAV portfolio. So uh, <laughs> as always... I reported our end of month results last week, and I got them wrong. Uh, fortunately, you uh, picked up on that. Your spidey sense <laughs> said, "Yeah, I don't think so," because I think I reported that we grew up by eighteen percent in April. And looking at C six C, which is currently up three hundred and twenty percent since we bought it, I thought that was reasonable. You went, "Yeah, I don't <laughs> think so." So I went back through it and I realized that I did. I had introduced an error uh, the previous month in the number of FMG shares that we had somehow crept into the spreadsheet. So it, it massively exacerbated our decline in March. At the end of March, I said we had declined by 14%. Not true. It was a little bit less than 5%. And in April, we only went up by 10.3%, not 18%. But good news out of all of that is I think it actually improved our position our performance since inception, QAV growth since we started the portfolio in September 19 is now 43% uh, versus the All Ords Accumulation Index of uh, 15%. 
So we're beating it by, as as of the end of April, uh, we were beating it by uh, 28.2% since inception. Have you had a look at ShareSite today? Not today. Why? Because uh, the market went up today and, and my portfolio took a big kick. FMG's up quite a bit today since the iron ore price uh, hit $200 a tonne. Have a look at share site because I think um, last time I looked, we were up more than those figures you just read out. So, and the other thing that I, I just sort of worked out uh, during this process too is in share site and also in a vector, I've been putting brokerage in, mm. which I don't do in the spreadsheet because the there's no brokerage factored into the All Lords index. Uh, so if we want to do a genuine comparison between our performance and the All Lords, we don't include uh, brokerage, right? Correct, yeah. So I'm going through the process of trying to back out the brokerage from ShareSite and uh, Nevexa. By the way, if people – I've now put the Nevexa. Nevexa, which is a ShareSite competitor, have given me an embedded uh, an embed uh, code. So on our homepage now and on our portfolio uh, page on our website, I'm actually using the Nevexa embed code, part of my process of phasing out the Google Sheet. It's not quite there yet. They can't show me all of the trades, but hopefully we'll get there soon. The reason for saying it is because things jumped today by like a thousand bucks in the portfolio, mainly because right. FMG's had a big day. Oh my god, it has. Yeah, it's up eight percent since yesterday. Yeah, Copper Mountain's up nine percent since yesterday. <laughs> it's now three hundred and fifty-five percent up since we bought it at the end of October. But all in all, it's doing well. Versus yeah, it's the going well. Lines. Yeah, and and in the last sort of twenty-four hours, it's gone really well. Iron ore's gone up in particular. And yeah, gold has too. Well, it goes. I mean, versus, according to my Google sheet, since um, you know we're we're performing at like three hundred percent better than yeah. the all lords since inception. Yeah. So you know, give or yeah. take. 10%, it's pretty good. Yep, very good. Well, there's been a tech wreck, on the other hand. Uh, <laughs> the wax stocks, uh, wax, they're, they're waxing on, now they're waxing off, the wax yeah, stocks. they're waning. <laughs> the uh, afterpay dropped by 20%, I think. It's up uh, uh, on Friday. It's up a little bit more, up a little bit today, but not much. Yeah, and uh, I guess that's due to inflationary fears. Had a chance to read through most of the Berkshire Hathaway AGM uh, transcript, and Buffett's been calling out uh, his input costs are rising, so he's calling out inflation as affecting Berkshire Hathaway. So that's kind of an early sign that inflation will come back into the economy. And I think that kind of commentary has, has scared people in terms of the um, tech investors, and they're pulling out of the tech stocks. I read that it was had something to do with people figuring that coming out of the uh, pandemic, the commodities are doing better and money's moving into that. People are pulling out, but uh, I guess it's probably a combination of things. Yeah, probably a combination of all of those. Speaking of Buffett and the NASDAQ, did you read that article today? I did. He's <laughs> broken the NASDAQ. Broken the NASDAQ, yeah. Berkshire Hathaway's buy share price is the most expensive stock that has ever existed, and it's nearly too big for the Nasdaq, which has a two to the thirty-two minus one limit on the share price per stock of it that it can handle. Because his the the Berkshire share price is up by four hundred and twenty-nine thousand dollars a share. 
Mm-hmm. And that's where the uh, software code that NASDAQ is built on <laughs> runs out of numbers that it can handle. <laughs> I'd rather pull out the 32-bit processor and put in a 64. <laughs> <laughs> I did hear that they're uh, doing some sort of a fix or a rewrite or something that should be done by the end of the month. But uh, meantime, I don't know what happens. I-, I read that they sort of just uh, stopped reporting Berkshire's price last week. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was surprised Berkshire Hathaway was on the NASDAQ. I, I mean, I guess it's on all the major indices, but I would have thought it was on the New York Stock Exchange. I would have thought that too, yeah. Mm. Anyway, that's a fun problem to have. And, and it's that big because he doesn't believe in splitting to yeah. reduce the share price, right? I read that he said that reducing the share price artificially would just bring in dumb investors and he doesn't want to do that. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, that's right. That's exactly the reason for it. He wants people to be who are investing in Berkshire to be sophisticated investors. They've already got $400,000 right. to spend, yeah. Speaking of dumb investors, uh, did you see that Elon Musk uh, hosted SNL on Saturday night? I did, yeah. <laughs> uh, and Dogecoin went down 25%. Yeah, he went on Weekend Update uh, in, as a character uh, and they kept asking him, Michael Che and Colin Yost kept asking him to explain Dogecoin and he just kept going around in circles, a bit like when we had Torsten on trying to <laughs> explain why we should invest in uh, Bitcoin, which never went to air, but we should get him back on. But, uh, yeah, apparently as a result of that, Dogecoin <laughs> dropped 20% <laughs> overnight. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's all fun. Anyway, yeah. uh, let's talk about the buy list. I created some sort of a holocaust uh, inadvertently on the weekend. I got about five emails from people over the weekend asking when you were going to update the buy list because the last one I had up there was the 31st of March. And I sent them all emails saying, yeah, blah, blah, this is what's going on. Everyone was fine with it. Everyone was like, yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. That's cool. No problems. Thanks for letting me know. And I thought, well, to stave off further emails, I'll just uh, post something on Facebook. So people are obviously wondering what's going on. Yep. Uh, and to be honest, there was only really one guy that uh, uh, sort of got upset about it. Yeah, and and I saw your answer on the Facebook group, which was right. I'm going to rename the buy list to something like QAV Top Scorers because I don't want it to be a tip sheet. It was never intended to Good. be a tip sheet. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's there for people to test their own calculations against mine and to, you know, do their own investigations. That's a starting point. So I'm going to stop calling it the buy list. People know that we can't make stock tips on this um, podcast. And the whole point of it is to teach people how to fish, not give them fish anyway. So um, we'll call it something like the QAB top scorers list. I've worked on it today. It's just about ready to go out. So the next one should be out tonight or tomorrow. Let's move on to Q&A. Have one more thing to talk about. Sorry. Uh-huh, sure. Uh, yeah, so uh, someone asked a question a couple of weeks ago about whether we should be using increasing equity per share versus in- increasing equity. So currently the checklist oh, uses yes. increasing equity. Uh, yeah. And I had Dylan run some regression testing and he came up and with results that said that it made no difference. So right. they were very similar between using equity per share or just net equity. So we'll stick with right. what we've got in the, um, in the checklist. Hmm. Hmm. All right, let's move on to Q&A. James, question for Tony about licks and the big discounts to NAV that can occur. What's NAV? Net asset value. 
net asset value. Yeah, we, we call it NTA, net tangible asset, but it's the same thing. Ah, okay. Yeah. He says, I'm keen for a deeper discussion on why they arise, how and when the value might be realised by an investor, and generally how Tony thinks about them. So for new subscribers, Tony, can you explain again what a lick is before you get into that? Yeah, sure. Lick is a listed investment company. So it's it's kind of like the sibling of an ETF. The difference is that it's a closed-end fund, so the fund manager will raise money first and then go off and create a portfolio. And... Uh, from then on, um, the the share price should track the portfolio, but it often doesn't. The share price will be driven by people buying and selling their shares, which has no bearing on the shares that the listed investment company holds. And that's different to an ETF when they go out and uh, when someone buys or sells a, an ETF share, the, the underlying shares have to be bought or sold to reflect that. Uh, yeah, so that means with a lick that if they hold, if the lick has an invested, um, say, $100 million in Australian shares, uh, and there's 100, uh, 100 million share, shares on issue, then the shares should trade at a dollar. But uh, the whole series of different things can mean that the shares can trade at anything other than a dollar, like 90 cents or a dollar 10 or whatever. Uh, so it's basically the market sentiment which is driving the share price, but it's the market which is driving the net tangible asset value. Uh, what what can cause that? Um, a whole range of things. So, in the in the question that James posed, he talked about NGE, which is on our buy list, and that's a listed investment company. Uh, but it's only a small company, so it's about twenty million dollars invested, and that that can be a, a reason why share prices for licks can be under can be below the net tangible asset or the net asset value per share, and and that's because. At twenty million dollars, they probably that they wouldn't have any institutional investors as part of that lick, so they're relying on retail uh, investors to buy the shares. And again, with a small lick like that, they probably aren't able to afford the costs of doing much marketing, and so retail investors simply aren't you know knowing about the lick, <clears throat> and so that can mean that um, with a shortfall of of new shareholders to buy the shares, when someone does want to sell, they're accepting a, a price which is below the net asset value uh, for whatever reason they want to get out or they need to get out and that drives the share price down. Um, <clears throat> other reasons why that can happen is that you know the fund manager isn't seen in a good light so they've got a poor track record for example uh, or it, it tends to happen a lot. It happened last, uh, last year during the COVID cough where the market was dropping and the net tangible asset uh, or the, the share price was trading below the net tangible asset as people got scared and sold out. And sometimes it's a forecast of where people think the net tangible asset will go. So if the market's falling quickly, then people will sell out based on what they think the NTA will be in the future. Um, And I should also say that uh, every lick on the Australian share market has to report its net tangible assets every month. And so you can can go to the Stock Doctor or the ASX and look up those announcements and you'll see what the what the um, discount or overage is to the share price. Some licks uh, will be over their net tangible asset backing. So big ones like uh, Australian Foundation Investment or Milton sometimes traded a slight um, uh, surplus to their net tangible asset backing because they're in demand. So, you know, they they operate like a quasi-index fund. They've been around for such a long time and they're held in such high regard 
and the management fees are low enough that uh, people pay that overage just to get in because they're in there for the long term. So uh, that can happen. Um, shares like Wilson Asset Management often trade at a, an overage, and that's because it pays a high yield. So again, people are happy to pay a premium to get in because then they're going to get 7% per annum in dividends going forward. So there are a whole host of reasons why the share price can disconnect. In terms of how that gets uh, traded away, uh, the, the fund manager can do a couple of things. They could um, do a share buyback, which NGE has been doing. So NGE currently has a really high cash balance, something like 47% of the portfolio is currently in cash. And uh, they've been buying back their shares. So I, I imagine they're going to keep buying back their shares until they use up some of that cash. Uh, they could also do things like um, pay special dividends to return that cash to shareholders. Uh, or they could sell the portfolio and go completely to cash, in which case it's very transparent what the NTA should be for the underlying portfolio because it's all cash. And that can often uh, mean that people will start to say, well, heck, I can buy a dollar's worth of cash for 80 cents, so I may as well um, take that that purchase now and wait for the the um, the uh, the underperforming share price to catch up to the cash value underneath. There's a couple of, of course, there's a couple of um, motivators for the manager not to do these things. So NGE, for example, and I'm, I'm picking on NGE, and I don't know their specific circumstances, but at a $20 million for the portfolio, I would guess the manager isn't going to, you know, sell, isn't gonna, they could possibly sell the fund or close the fund uh, and then sell the assets, but that puts them out of a job. So they're not going to do that. Uh, they could do some marketing and keep telling as many people as they can why they're a good buy at the moment. And they're doing some buybacks, but if they, you know, do enough buybacks to get that share price up to the that tangible asset, the $20 million portfolio will still be $20 million, but there'll be less shares on issue, which, which might um, hurt them as well in terms of having a smaller shareholder base. So there's a whole range of things that go on. The last thing I wanted to say is that Jeff Wilson's very aware of all these kinds of things in the market, and he he has made it a, a career out of going and, and buying into these funds or even buying out these funds as a way of um, uh, you know getting the, the underlying asset value cheaply. So he might come along with $20 million and, and make, make an offer to buy this listed investment company, uh, knowing that he's paying $0.80 cents for a dollar's worth of underlying assets. And then when he rolls that fund into his listed investment company, which is at an overage, then, uh, you know, that, that that it's a good buy and that discount goes away because all the other shares in the Wilson Asset Management swamp it and, um, and they're in an overage situation. So Jeff Wilson's putting out a new listed investment company called the special, I think it's called something like Special Situations or Special, special Value something like that anyway, uh, fund. And uh, he's, he's going to go and, and attack these kinds of situations to try and get their, um, to try and buy, either buy their portfolio cheaply or to shake up management and replace it and get the asset value back to where it should be. Oh, sorry, the share price back to the asset value. Gobbling them up. Gobbling them up usually, yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, so I, I, I like buying these licks at a discount. It's... Um, Eventually, they should get back to their their asset value. The share price should return to the asset value. So, James, when he asks, you know, how and when the value might be realised by an investor, it's basically buying them when they're uh, undervalued. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it could take a while. It could take at least six months, but it could take 12 months or it could take longer. They tend not to go on for much longer than that because people like Jeff Wilson come along and launch raids on them and, and try and buy the underlying assets for the discount that they currently represent in their share price. So would if you were faced with a situation where you had uh, on the buy list a lick versus a regular stock mm-hmm. with the same score, is the do you do you, you know do you judge between them? I, I don't because we very rarely see things on the same score. Um, but but I have I do like buying um, licks at a discount, so I probably would err towards the lick. Hmm. So if there's a lick in the uh, the top of the QAV top score list, mm-hmm. see new branding. I'm yep. working it in there already. <laughs> the QAV most beautiful stocks in the world <laughs> list. Uh, Trump, the Trump. <laughs> what, is, what does he have? The Miss America or yeah, something? Yeah. Miss Universe. We yeah, call it Miss. The- can we call it Miss QAV? The Miss QAV list, or is that really sexist and the, wrong? The beauty list, the pageant list. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, if you had a lick in the top ten, you'd buy it. You, you, you oh, know, yeah. you'd, be, you'd buy it like you'd buy anything else. Yeah, it scores would, well. Yeah. It's undervalued, etc. Yeah. Okay. Oh, there you go, James. Hope that helps, Glenn. Uh, how meaningful are the QAV scores, especially the price-to-operating cash flow ratio for ETFs, assuming the data is not for the underlying fund holding but on the fund itself? Mm. Yeah, look, it's a really good question, and I'm going to give a, um, the, the stock answer I've been giving when this question's asked, but I might just beg off and do a bit more research because um, I think I need to dig down into this one. But, but yeah, so the... The ETF itself should only have good operating cash flow if it's been selling something or if it's received lots of dividends or perhaps there's some gearing issues because a lot of links are geared. So they may have um, reduced debt uh, or increased debt, something like that. That shouldn't go through operating cash flow, but but, um, there could be some kind of impact on operating cash flow. Generally, it looks like the operating cash flow when it becomes positive is, is mainly a timing issue. So... People are redeeming, they're selling shares, um, and they haven't paid out the people who are redeeming yet um, at the end of the month at the, the period that we're looking at, uh, which is generally a good thing. So generally, it, it's, ta- it, it's showing that the ETF is going to cash, uh, which is which is a good thing generally because that tends to be at the bottom of the market, but that's a big generalisation. And I need to, to do some more research onto this because I pulled out... I was, I was, pulling out um, an ETF to look at, and I was using GEAR, which is the one that we had in our buy list a little while ago, and some people may um, may still hold, so I thought that would be a good one. But I was having difficulty reconciling it back to the numbers in Stock Doctor, so I need to um, perhaps even talk to them because sometimes they they move the line items around in their, in their cash flow reports compared to what the companies report if they, if they feel they have good reason. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, just in summary... It tends to mean when we see operating cash flow in an ETF, it tends to mean there are redemptions and people are selling and they're sun- selling the underlying assets and then paying them out, or there's been a you know extra big dividends coming through. Um, both of which are probably good things because they people tend to redeem on the way down in a in a market correction, and just as we saw in the COVID cough, the ETFs that we were looking at were coming onto our radar because they had high operating cash flow because people were redeeming. Um, and then that got turned around quickly. So 
that's the kind of high-level answer, but I'd like to do some more research and try and know that. Because the other thing about ETFs is that when you look at their total cash flows, generally net cash flow is pretty small. So generally the operating cash flow is mirrored by the financing cash flow. So if there's negative operating cash flow, there's positive financing cash flow, which just means that that's the way an ETF works is that eventually uh, if someone wants to sell a share, they have to sell the underlying, or sell a share in the ETF, they have to sell an underlying share that they hold and then pay the person. And the reverse is true when someone buys. So I'm, I'm guessing that the operating cash flows when they become positive or negative is a timing issue, just when they, you know, they declare their month end. And if you see mm. positives or negatives in there, then um, it probably washes out over a number of periods. But anyway, I've got to do more research on that. Short answer is it um, tends to be, yeah, we, we've tended to see the ones that have positive operating cash flow as a good buy on our buy list. All right. Well, I hope that helps. Glenn, uh, let's move on to Daniel's question. I want to know if Tony ever felt like he got better performance when he managed a smaller portfolio, i.e. when he was first starting out and able to take positions in smaller cap companies. Didn't you lose half your money when you started out? Yeah, well, I first started out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, was, that was doing all the wrong things. Uh, no, it, it, I haven't found any difference between small companies and large companies at all. Right. And um, even though my portfolio is reasonably big, it's not sort of Buffett big. So it's, I'm not getting a, I'm still getting a big enough set of companies to work with. So I'm not seeing any difference at all. Hmm. You're not uh, shifting the market like Buffett can do. Yeah, yet. that's right. Yeah, give, you, no. give you a few more years. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. All right. Thanks, Daniel. Brett, CCV has a new byline. The old one just crossed five years old and it no longer makes the cut. Do we need to be looking past five years when drawing the three-point trend line using CCV as an example? No, I, I had a look at CCV. It looks good to me. CCV, Cash Converters International. Mm-hmm. So Cash Converters. So it's above the sell line, but um, who was it? Uh Brett is talking about a new byline. So, Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. For the brand new folks, I want you to know that each week we have a free episode and a premium episode. Free episode runs about half an hour. Premium episode usually runs for an extra half hour to an hour, depending on how many questions we have from our audience that week, because we spend a lot of that time answering questions. Uh, if you want to check out the premium episodes, you can go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au and sign up for the two-week free trial. You get to have a look at the uh, premium episodes. You get to have a look at the checklist, the getting started guide, all of the video content that we have. Uh, you get invited to our VIP dinners and our VIP Zoom calls for club members. You get to ask Tony questions that we can answer. You get to get invited to our uh, Facebook group, our private Facebook group, etc., etc. So, And also uh, we get a, a private uh, club member newsletter each week we send out as well with some stuff in it. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au. But as I said, if you're brand new and you want to, you're trying to figure out what's going on, go back and listen to Season 3, Episodes 1, 3, and 5, 301, 303, and 305. And then you might also want to go back and listen to Season 1, as well, all of the free episodes in season one, where we go into a lot of detail about Tony's system and methodology and figure out if this is right for you, if it's something that you want to go further with, if you want to learn how to invest like Tony does, then you can check out the uh, QAV Club. 
Uh, the other thing I always have to say is we're not financial advisors, so don't take anything you hear on this as financial advice. This is just here to teach how one guy invests and thinks about investing. If you need financial advice or tax advice, please go see a financial advisor or a tax advisor. Uh, with that, stay safe, good luck with your investing, and we'll be back next week.